everyone and welcome to Globalize Asia. Support for this podcast comes from Royal Beans Chocolates. Royal Beans is based out of Bangalore, India and specializes in Belgian chocolates infused with exciting flavors like masala chai, cappuccino, berry blast, walnut marble and many more. You can gift these special crafted chocolates to your loved ones in India by visiting their website www.royalbeans.in. Use the promotional code GLA10 to get 10% discount off your order. Thank you. Hi everyone and welcome to Globalization. If you are one of those pharmacists who has always been interested in owning your own business, then you would be interested to hear from our guest of the day, Wasim Ahmed. Wasim's heritage is from Pakistan and like many Asian families who immigrated to the UK for a better future led his parents to take that leap of faith. Wasim is a pharmacist by profession and a serial entrepreneur by choice. Let's hear Wasim's story of managing chain of pharmacies and diversifying his business into real estate and most recently into business incubators for startups in Oxford. So hi Wasim, thanks for joining us for today's podcast. It's it's a rather interesting topic and I'm sure many of our listeners would be interested to hear about this. Um, Vaseem is a, a pharmacist by qualification and today we're going to discuss his life story and his future plans with uh, his background. So just to begin with uh, Vaseem, I think uh, just to get a little bit about yourself, uh, can you tell us um, where you grew up and how you got into the pharmacy profession? Sure, um, thank you both for having me. Um, so I was born in uh, Blackburn, Lancashire. We grew up there till I was probably about seven or eight. Uh, my father wanted to uh, learn the culture about Pakistan. So we moved to Pakistan and we went to school there. Uh, we Probably about a year or two, I think it was. And then we moved back to the UK, but we came to Oxford. And then uh, from the age of, say, 10 or 11, we were in Oxford. And that's where I grew up and did my education. So it was, um, went to a middle school there and then went to high school and then I ended up doing my degree in Leicester. Uh, so that's kind of the traditional route of education, as they say. Uh, my, my father was um, from Pakistani background. My mother, although she's from a Pakistani background, she moved to the UK when she was very young. So uh, I guess you would say a British Pakistani mother, uh, traditional Asian father who was a lot more relaxed. Where, where about in Pakistan did you uh, went for schooling? So we, we we're from a place called Jhelum, uh, and there's a Punjab. village, Punjab. So yeah, we're Punjabi, um, and we're from a place called Jinjil, which mm-hmm. is a village. Uh, so we went to school there in Beacon's House, which is a private school. Beacon's House. Beacon's House. It's like Pakistan's um, top private school, wow. as such, or it was at the time. Uh, and they give Saturday Sundays off, <laughs> which was good. Whereas most of the state schools were open half day on a Friday. Full day on a Saturday and closed on a Sunday. So uh, we used to do Friday half days. And then uh, Saturday and Sundays were off. So it was a good time for us. Long summer holidays as well. So so coming back to what Watsala has asked earlier about uh, how did you got into pharmacy now? So very brave of you to get into a profession which is dominated by, dominated by the Patels. So what was your thought process of getting into a profession? Um, 
where you don't have a last name as a potato. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that. I think it was growing up, as most uh, Asian families will probably uh, agree, and I don't just say that from a Pakistani and Indian view, I say that from a Chinese view or uh, maybe in a Japanese view. There's a lot of pressure to excel, study, and then get a good job. Because our parents obviously they work so hard, they want better lifestyle for your children. So it was it was that. Um, but for me, uh, I think it was more of wanting to do something that was people focused. I didn't really know much about the Patels at that point until my uncle mentioned it going forward. But it was more about um, just doing something that would allow me not to just be in a profession. It was to expand out and potentially you know look at entrepreneurship, business. And that was the direction, really. Um, pharmacy just fit the category. Medicine for me was, well, it was a long haul. Uh, and once you're in it, you've got to go further. Whereas pharmacy for me was do the degree, do the pre-register, and then let's open your business. That, that was definitely my mindset from that time. And, and So you kind of took on from both worlds, the school of thought that kind of encourages you to go the academic way. But then, as we understand from talking to you a bit earlier, that the family was actually involved in a couple of businesses. So, which is why the business side kicked in. So you kind of merged the two and decided to go forward. So tell us what you actually did with your degree. Um, so you completed the pharmacy degree, worked as a pharmacist for a year. That's um, right. And then, and then how did you branch out? Because a lot of people would be interested to hear, um, after having worked years and years in the pharmacy business, how do they grow? How do they expand? And more importantly, how do they diversify their skill set? Two things. One, you need to be surrounded by people in your life, I think, who push you to think out the box. I was fortunate with my pre-registration year. I had a Nigerian tutor, uh, and he was definitely an out-of-the-box thinker. He was an entrepreneur in spirit, absolutely. Uh, he wasn't your typical run-of-the-mill pharmacist. He didn't just open 100-hour pharmacy. He decided to go and open another one, and then he bought uh, another 40-hour contract. But we learned a lot from him. Uh, you know, he, he was, it was one of the things where he, he taught us what is possible. I think looking back at my upbringing and looking at my father, the kind of jobs he did from driving a taxi to driving a bus to building massive buildings out of nothing. Like my father is brilliant at when it comes to construction. So this is a man who, who pretty much is self-made. You know, we were fortunate. We had a beginning. He came from a village from Pakistan with no money and did everything himself, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. Uh, I think it was that uh, that kind of pushed us to do something that's not just conventional. Even though my father wanted us to have education, uh, inadvertently, just by following him, he, I don't think he realized, but he set a precedent for us to think out the box. So uh, he kind of pushed it to himself to making us, you know, what we yeah. ended up doing. So, um, yeah, I think... If you're a pharmacist or, or you're in the pharmacy profession, you think, how do I then go into something else? There are avenues that are available or you make them available. Uh, and you can. You know, we, we did it. Uh, we, we did it at a time where it wasn't the easiest thing. As you said, the Patels, there were already established businesses and, and um, a lot of independents out there uh, that were struggling. But we, we, we took a difficult route. But because we took the difficult route, we didn't know what the easy route was. So the, the way I look at it, if you do something hard from the start, it just gets easier. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've always done something that maybe is not so hard, 
it gets harder as, as things change. So the hard for you was essentially the hardest it can get, which was opening your own pharmacy. It was, and and not just opening a... And so there's two models. Like I said, there's a 40-hour pharmacy, so you're conventionally open at 9 and close at 6. Mm-hmm. And then we went into the 100-hour model, which was based on opening at 8 and closing at 11, Monday to Saturday, and then we opened 9 to 7 on a Sunday. And we did not close, and we still don't close any day of the year. We are open every single day of the year. So, yeah, there's a lot of hours. So tell us how you uh, took your business forward then. Um, use that as like the stepping stone to establish more pharmacies. Uh, we understand in different parts of the you know, city, Oxford, where you started, Bicester, around there. So um, where are you today with, with the business and how do you see the plans for it going forward? Have you um, managed to get some further investors in? Um, we didn't really go for investment as an option. Uh, we, we we always wanted to keep control of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. What we found was when the pharmacy was established, there was a lot of, there was so much else going on in terms of the technology world. And what's happened is as we grew, avenues started to open. Uh, we, we had ways to utilize and leverage the pharmacy to get into other industries, for example, real estate properties. But again, I would think that's more conventional because it's, it's, it is the concept that if I have money, I'll buy property and make more money. It's only been in the last probably year or two where we've kind of, I would say pivoted from that and thought, well, there are a lot of other avenues. It's not just property and it's not just pharmacy. Uh, there's a world out there which compromises of social media and social content. I think now social media and content is as important as houses were in the 80s and the 90s in the UK or anywhere to be fair. Mm. Uh, It has value. So yeah, to be honest, before where you would have to pay to get on a TV ad, now you can Mm. make your own TV. So avenues have opened. You can do your own marketing. You can do your own PR. You can reach out to more people. Amazon changed things. Just to build up on that, so you know, technology has brought disruption to a lot of uh, sectors like Uber to taxi or Airbnb to hotel industry. Is similar thing happening in pharmacy world at all? It is, uh, and I think a lot of the change that you'll see coming forward was probably as a result of the direction the government took uh, a couple of years ago where they, they did a set of cuts and they worth 200 million from the global pot. And the reason behind it was that we wanna change the direction of how pharmacies get paid. So it's not just because you fulfill a prescription, but um, because, as you said, technology, uh, they were pushing the model of online disruption. They were saying, well, why, you know, it would be convenient for patients where they could order their medication, it goes through a central hub, or it goes through an online pharmacy, gets, prepared and it's just delivered out. So yes, technology has disrupted uh, pharmacy. Now, I think what you're gonna find is a lot more automation. Uh, There's robots in pharmacies. I don't know if you've seen any, but they're already there and they will be more refined. They'll be cheaper to buy, more accessible. In fact, we, we ourselves are looking into particular models of having robots in the pharmacy that can do the dispensing. So now what does that mean for your dispenser or even the pharmacist? Because 
laws i think will change i think remote supervision is potentially something that may come in which will mean one pharmacist may not necessarily have to or a pharmacy doesn't have to be in the building as is the current law but they can be in another location and centrally monitor different pharmacies and you could potentially have what we call accuracy checkers doing the uh, accuracy check of the prescription so yeah i think technology is going to disrupt things uh, and it's something that mm. i don't think is avoidable so in in your view um, as a pharmacist hat if you if you wear your pharmacist hat for a second what is the most challenging bit of running a pharmacy i think that's there's two sides of that there's the basics of running any business uh, staff management getting your processes in place from your accounting to your hr to your logistics licensing regulations yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. all of that is 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 and pharmacy is heavily regulated it's the one profession where technically uh, you know especially in terms of the medical side of things you can still go to jail if you make a dispensing error uh, the law is supposed to be changed but it hasn't changed yet so yes uh, i think the regulatory stuff can can take a toll uh, is it, and the paperwork is increasing so I would say in terms of managing pharmacy, it has the business components, which every business would have, but it has its uniqueness because, as you point out, the regulation, I think that has an effect. And also the challenges we're facing now, where a lot of established pharmacies, see, you've got the multiples and then the independents, and the independents are coming down, which is a shame because I think independents uh, pioneer a lot of services and, and do uh, bring a more customer-focused and friendly experience and with automation, I think it's put off a lot of businesses that have been established for 20 or 30 years, uh, owners who have been used to one model of working and now all this is happening. They've had all these cuts mm. and they're going to have to do a lot more for the same money. Mm. So, yeah, I, th- I think there are a lot of challenges uh, that are on the way. But uh, again, I think it's an opportunity at the same time. Mm. As and when you go to Pakistan, do you have this curiosity to go and compare the pharmacy side of the business? I do. <laughs> and I was in Pakistan just a couple of months ago, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was visiting <laughs> the pharmacies there, and I was looking, okay, what is it you guys do, and what is it we do? There is a disparity between, for example, the wage scale, um, what a pharmacist does then, what a pharmacist does here. Yeah. But it's changing. Uh, the law is changing. There's more support for the pharmacy profession now, I think. Uh, and, and again, I think pharmacy in Pakistan can be a massive force of good. It can, it, pharmacy in general can be the, the kind of the center of the hub. It can link the hospital, the GP. It can link the physiotherapist, the OT. It can link everybody. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a model that's been pursued. Yeah. But uh, they have the ability to do it. It's, uh, it's a one trained professional. As I said, you don't need to have an appointment to see especially in this country with so much pressure on the NHS, as we all know, um, suddenly the role of a pharmacist becomes all the more important and they can surely... What's your opinion on that? I, I agree. I, I think pharmacy is well... or pharmacists both are well-placed to help with that. I think also from our perspective, we're going to have to shout out louder and say, what is it that we can do? People say to me, you know, it's all great, services. Everybody's saying services, but how do I get paid for it? Services are being decommissioned everywhere. So who's going to pay for the service? I think in that environment, if if you find that, you know, things are getting decommissioned and you find it, you need to develop a way to get paid. 
I'll give you an example, the blood pressure checks. Lloyd started a free service and all pharmacies started doing free blood pressure checks. The problem with that was pharmacy was just doing everything for free. Now, when the patient came in to do their blood pressure check, they didn't value it either because it was free. As soon as you charge or put even a charge of £2.50, everybody listens. Yeah, because it's, it's just the way that if you don't invest into something, you're not going to give it as much value. So when, when people say services, well, offer quality services. There are a number of services people can do and charge for them. Travel medicine is something that's growing. Mm. Generally, it's very hard to get an appointment with your surgery. And that's also if they have a travel uh, nurse. A lot of pharmacies now are providing uh, travel uh, services. And, and, and the clinics, the advantage with it is, uh, especially for late night pharmacies or any pharmacy that's doing it, it's accessible, right? You can go and get your uh, jabs done for wherever you want to go and you can do it in your time. So I, I think that's one avenue that definitely you can look into. Independent prescribing, I, I, and I want to say this for the profession, a lot of pharmacists will think, well, what do I do? Do your independent prescribing. Mm-hmm. And there are barriers to that as well, unfortunately, because right now you need a doctor to supervise your training. The General Pharmaceutical Council is actually looking into having other pharmacists, prescribers potentially um, supervising. And I think that will open the gateway. And it has to be something like that. Because doctors are busy. They're, they're not, you know, they're, they're already swamped with other medical students. So then to for a pharmacist to also go, go in and get training is going to be difficult. So if, if pharmacy is going to be really uh, a pillar or a cornerstone of the medical profession then they have to be able to prescribe but they also need barriers to be removed for them to be able to get the training the course itself is only six months but the fundamental part is having a gp to say i will oversee the training i think just uh, more curiously um there are obviously different industries as well serving where the pharmacy profession is kind of embedded within there's the large beast NHS and then there's the retail sector and then there's the independent pharmacies as well um, so in terms of you know as, as a consumer or as a patient if I go to get a prescription from let's say Boots and I see this lovely lady serving me who's been you know really gracious with her service where do I expect to see her maybe five years after I return to the pharmacy, will she be in the back background somewhere managing the pharmacy? How would she have moved up the ladder? I think there's two parts to that, again, to that question, in that the independence structure and the multiple structure is different. Now, mm-hmm. it's very possible that that girl you saw in a multiple pharmacy mm-hmm. may be the area manager one day, uh, whereas previously it was very pharmacists dominated it's not so much now so you have managers a store manager area managers that have no pharmacy background so it is possible that they could do that um, and, and and they have a there's a ladder there from multiples perspective um, so potentially yes you, you might see them uh, always seeing things or maybe not but at least in a multiple structure there is a structure in independent pharmacy, most of these are single owner owned or there are groups uh, that own, say, multiple independent pharmacies. I suppose if there's more than one or there's a multiple pharmacy, then you can potentially, again, maybe work your way up. But it's probably a bit more difficult in that setting, uh, in an independent uh, setting for just a girl serving on the counter. I think she would have to uh, or he would have to consider other skill sets or mm-hmm. another pathway. To, to kind of go forward. 
And that brings us to another lead-up question in terms of diversifying skill sets, which has always been um, quite a topic for pharmacists to discuss. You know, I, I personally know a couple of pharmacists who are looking at options to study health economics or go into more market access side of things or, or you know, really commercialize their skills a bit. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how easy is it for them to break away and move into something like that? Right now, mm-hmm. there is a content stroke information led revolution mm-hmm. uh, facebook is in the news at the moment uh, due to all the privacy stuff um, but this is only going to increase as jobs become more automated what are we going to be doing uh, you know if you put robots in there you know, what are people and i'm not just talking about pharmacists and doctors anybody uh, you know as, as more diagnostic equipment comes out uh, what is society's general, you know, what are they going to be doing? I think at this point, uh, from pharmacist angle, and maybe this, and to be fair, this can be utilized by anybody in all professions. It is a time to really look at what your skill set is and getting that information out there. Shouting on about it uh, and, and telling people what you're capable of, but actually doing it as well. There's no point going there and saying, I'm a pharmacist, I have this skill set and you know, we should be appreciated. Go there and change the dynamics. Um, something I learned today from a good friend of mine, and, um, you know, we were talking, just having a conversation about, uh, you know, what do successful people do? And I said, successful people uh, adapt. But he turned that around at me and he said, well, they do, but his take was, uh, successful people make the adaption. They, they, what they do is they, they cause the adaption. They change the circumstances to what they need them to be. And I, I, to be fair, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, that That is the way. So as a how-to, I'm a pharmacist today, working at a pharmacy. I've been doing it for six years. What do I do to move from 38,000 to 77,000? Well, you know what? Go write a blog. Go on YouTube and talk about your profession. Go open a Facebook page and leverage that with a LinkedIn page. There are courses out there that you can learn this from if you haven't already, but basically become your own PR marketing campaign. Um, it's something that we intend to do long term is give that information to people um, and, and and really help people leverage their skill set to make money out of it because it is important. Uh, when someone asks you that question, what he's saying or she's saying is, how do I make more money? And... Yeah. That is something I, I, I long-term want to mm-hmm. get into. So running running pharmacies, uh, I mean, <clears throat> as you mentioned, you started from a, a day job in pharmacy and you build your own pharmacy, now chains of pharmacies under a partnership model. Yeah. You've, diversified, you've diversified that business into now real estate as well. Yeah. And I think further down the line, you, if I remember correctly, you mentioned that you're also getting into startup incubators. Yes. Now, that is quite interesting in terms of you know how your journey has progressed. At what stage do you feel that it's time for you to move on to try something different? Or do you do that simultaneously? I do that every day. Every day. There is, there, there's not a single day where I don't think I've had a day where I've decided to do something the same. Now, there's a difference between doing something consistently mm-hmm. and well, but there is also... A narrative that you know I'm, I'm going to look at something and think differently and change something I think that is essential uh, you do that every day you learn every day and it's important to 
apply what you've learned and innovate, innovate on what you've learned. So in terms of going forward, um, I, I, in fact, my brothers will tell you, um, I, I can be very annoying because I'm always looking to change things. Uh, but it, it works well, I think, again, having good people around you to help you facilitate that change. Uh, my, my younger brother, he's, he's probably the backbone of, of what, because I'm very kind of, let's do this, let's do that, uh, let's just get on with it. And he'll be like, wait a minute, come back one second. So having a dynamic team around you, uh, and, and you know what, we, we were lucky because we were a family-based business, but there are people out there who may not have the support, but bear in mind there are other like-minded people like you out there. You can connect with them. This is the beauty of mm-hmm. social media and everything we have. Mm-hmm. You, you can connect with anybody. I have connected with people in the last few months that I've never knew in my life. Mm-hmm. Including us. Including yourselves, <laughs> you know. Um, and when you're 12, you think, you know, I'm never going to meet that person. And today you can meet them. Mm-hmm. So, But tell us a bit more about the startup incubator that you are involved in. The incubation model came from, well, the way I looked at it, as we were growing our businesses, and there were times when we struggled, and I thought, you know, where are we going to get help from, uh, from the banking system, uh, or do we talk to family and friends? But it just occurred to me, you know what, if I needed £10,000, and I had a network of 10 friends who could assist with that, and they all gave £1,000 each, that's £10,000. People say a million. So if you can have um, a million people give you a pound, then there's your million pounds. Mm. So incubation for me, or the incubation center more specifically, came from when I, my trip to Pakistan. I uh, had the pleasure of kind of going to uh, the Arfa Tower in Lahore. And uh, in Lahore, it's like an incubation setup and something I've never seen there prior to going here. And that was brilliant. Uh, and I think I kind of looked at that idea and thought, wow, if only we could do something like that uh, in, in the UK. So that's where it came from. Down there, they uh, you apply to them and you get um, funding, you get a space to co-work and, and, and you get to develop your business, you get mentoring and coaching. And I thought that could be brilliant because you could find the next guys or girl who's going to make mm-hmm. something amazing out there. If they have this face, how many ideas go to bed or, or go to the grave because someone wanted to do something but couldn't because you didn't have the resources. So yeah, it, Oxford for us is going to be start of uh, an incubation centre. Uh, we haven't come up with a name yet, but we're looking to call it the Creative Hub or something along those lines. And it's going to be based on allowing, um, I say young, but it could be someone's 45. Anybody who's got an idea that they are really passionate about we want to provide them a space so they can develop that space, uh, develop that concept and, and get coaching and support to do it. And then after a certain period of time, we would we, we look at avenues for them to get investors. And, uh, mm. God, you know, you don't know what will come out of it. That's brilliant. Talking about roots, the same, and obviously now that you've had the chance to go and assess the healthcare system a bit, um, any thoughts about going and giving back to your country or your parents' country uh, in any way? I think Pakistan is a very strategic country. Uh, in fact, all countries can be strategic if you want to make them. But Pakistan, the narrative right now is uh, not especially, I would say, you know, it's not the best narrative. 
But then you look at it, that's because when, you know, they're not getting the best narrative out there. A population of 200 million, mm. a young population growing, uh, very talented individuals. And I've seen that firsthand uh, when I went to uh, Pakistan, looking at companies like Nasdaq and Norik and, and a couple of the others. And there's, there's all these people trying to do different things. But you don't hear that on the news. Mm. Um, what you hear is this has happened or that's happened. So I, I just think, uh, because I'm British, I, I was born here. Uh, I have a Pakistani heritage. Uh, I think the UK, because it was so involved in the, well, it's been involved everywhere, but especially the subcontinent, um, we do have a dynamic relationship between the British and whether it's India or Pakistan or Bangladesh. Absolutely, mm-hmm. we do. And, and we can't kind of move away from that link. Mm-hmm. And I think despite whatever you say about the history or the negativity that came or didn't come, what you can say now is we, we need to utilize a positive mm-hmm. uh, sphere of thought so that we can use the advantages we have in Britain, take them to places like Pakistan, India or Bangladesh or whatever, and, and kind of help with getting to a globalist, humanist approach. Yes. I, it's, it's not for me, not just Pakistan, but everywhere. I, I want Africans and Pakistanis and Chinese and Indians, all of us to kind of come together um, and even work with the Americans and whoever, because in the end of the day, there's only one planet mm-hmm. that we're currently all in until Elon Musk decides to take us to Mars or something. But um, I think I think there there is a narrative now that we do need to work together. Think of the things you could accomplish if all of us were working towards any particular project, like climate change or, or you know, th- there's going to be a water crisis, you know, imagine all of us coming together and working on that. And there's actually a lot of money to be made um, if, you, if you pick up a topic like that as well. So there is opportunity. It's not just, um, obviously, the, 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 the philanthropic side of things, but there no, can be real businesses out there. I, I agree. And, and, and I think that's something else that we need to get out there. And, and this is why I'm, I, I'm really happy with what you guys are doing, because people don't just want motivational coaching, right? There are people who are making maybe £600, £1,000, who've got a mortgage, who've got a rent to pay for you know, half that amount. So to tell someone, be positive and don't worry about it, it's going to be great if you think great, it doesn't work like that. You know, We need to get a how-to. Like if I'm making £1,200, how can I make £3,000? And you know, we need to give those skill sets in telling people how they can do that. And there is the argument that, oh, but, you know, if you want something, you just go and do it. And that's great. But there are some people who you need to give that support to. Mm. Well, the first hurdle would be convincing Indian or Asian parents that uh, move away from academics. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> academics, and, and if you look at the most successful people in the world, like Lord Alan Sugar or... Um, Steve Jobs, you know, they, they, they weren't necessarily mm-hmm. from an academic background, but mm-hmm. they did have academia in them in a way that they were able to innovate and, and look at different concepts and ideas and monetize the business model and, and kind of do that. So, yeah, I think, I think um, t- to be successful, it's just... Yeah, I mean, right. I agree, but... but just to add on to that, but they also were born in a country where the infrastructure and the help or the, the freedom they had to go and conceptualize on that idea 
was was there. I agree. So when we compare and relate that to subcontinent of you know Indian subcontinent, so to speak, yeah, it's still not there. Uh, it it is in pockets, maybe in Bangalore or as you meant uh, to Lahore, that area. You don't hear about incubators on on a level that you hear in Western countries. I think I think and 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 that is where we need to kind of really utilize the kind of advantages we've been given and you're absolutely right we need to take it to not just the Lahores and the Delhis we need to go to the rural areas of the countries um, uh, and and kind of really give everybody that opportunity Um, Mm. you know some of the greatest minds of the world have come from places that you've never heard of so I, I agree. I, and I think this is what, um, for me, is, is what's going to drive us now, is kind of connecting to everybody. Because whereas previously, you didn't have those avenues, now everybody's got a phone, mm. pretty much. Yeah. So they have an avenue to reach out and do something. Because, uh, you know, like I said, you can, if you want to, yeah. you can make your own channel from a, vid- a village in India where that, you know, maybe not most of us have heard about or, or Pakistan and yeah. uh, they can go become a superstar. It's like um, a couple of years ago, there was those two girls who sang a Justin Bieber song in Pakistan and went yeah. viral. <laughs> right? Mm. Yeah. And, and on that note, I think our podcast is also listen on those phones and hopefully this podcast will go viral as well um just want to say a big thank you basim for taking time out and uh, your business acumen and sharing your details and knowledge uh, your experiences has been brilliant you're very humble in in your approach so i think that's a very good quality keep that uh, just uh, i'm sure thank i you. don't deserve to say but uh, again it's, it's been brilliant meeting you and thank you very much for for your time today. no thank yeah. you for having me thanks, and, uh, thanks i think what you're doing is great so keep it up hope you enjoyed listening to this episode you can catch all upcoming episodes on the website globalize-asian.co.uk or via your iOS or Android devices. Also, if you wish to join us as a speaker and share your story, please do drop us a message via the contact form on the website.